Hi, you guys. I'm Kat, and I hope you come hang out with me on Kat Sadler Now. On my weekly podcast, I continue to ask the questions. I've been interviewing people for more than 25 years now, but that doesn't mean I've found all the answers. Make sure to listen to Kat Sadler Now, wherever you get your podcasts. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hi friends, happy Wednesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today I am answering your questions on things like how to tell the difference between an eight and a counterphobic six. Am I a type one if I don't have a harsh inner critic? Tips for a type four child with a type eight parent and so much more. But first today is rose, bud, and thorn. My rose, the thing that is going well or I'm grateful for today is I typed this episode while I was working outside this morning and the weather is just so good. It was just uh, what exactly what I needed today. My thorn is I uh, I am, you know, a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit stressed. I just like to be upfront about that stuff. Um this is a little bit hard for me honestly to talk about because I still struggle to be loved in my overwhelm and in my harder parts of my personality. And I have this wonderful husband who is um, very attentive and loving and emotionally in tune. And I am like a full on like rock hard shell right now of just like, I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Um, don't look at me. (laughs) Um, you know, the reality is I'm just like, you know, going through a bit of a going through it right now and, and that's okay. But um, that's my thorn. Just feeling a little bit like a, a shell. Overprotecting myself. Um, my bud is what we're going to talk about in tomorrow's podcast episode. Um, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I'm announcing something exciting. Okay, now let's get into your questions. If you have questions you'd like answered on the podcast, though, for future episodes, go ahead and text them or call them into 828-338-9127. And I can answer it here in a future Q&A Wednesday. So our first question for today, hi, Sarah Jane. My question is about differentiating between a type eight and a counterphobic type six. I'm a female and have been studying the Enneagram for a few years, and I've always felt strongly that I'm an eight. However, more recently, I've tried to better understand the characteristics of a counterphobic six, and it seems like there could be some overlap with the eight. Is it common to mistype those two numbers? And how can we differentiate between those two types? Thank you for all you're doing, Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Thank you. Um, So yeah, there are a ton of similarities with the counterphobic six and the eight type structure. They're both going to power up in the face of fear or, or pain. And they're both going to challenge authority. Both of them need you to earn their trust. Now, the simplest difference between them is that eights are driven by anger and sixes are driven by fear. At the core of our counterphobic six is an undercurrent of fear, their desire for safety and security, and their desire to be supported. Just like the phobic sixes, right? Except their outward expression of facing fear is to move toward it and fight against it versus to run away or shrink back. Another big difference is that the counterphobic six is 
Aggression is more of a method to deal with their fear, while the eight aggression is sometimes a result of connecting through intensity or through their anger, meaning they enjoy that heated exchange, whereas a counterphobic six, when pressed on their combativeness, will ultimately want to concede and connect, whereas the eight, when pressed on their combativeness, will double down and assert themselves more. Of course, we are discussing like behavior and average to low, average to unhealthy types in this conversation, but all types are able to move beyond these behaviors. That's why we have to think, look beneath the behavior when we're typing and into the character structure. So in general, are you scanning the world for those attempting to control you or take advantage of you like an eight, or are you scanning the world for a potential risk and trying to prevent the things that you're afraid of like a six? Are you focused on your safety and security or are you focused on not being controlled? In that is your answer. All right, our next question is, hi, Sarah Jane, I've been searching for some guidance on this and hope you will direct me. I'm pretty certain that I am a type one. Everything on the descriptions resonates so much with me, with the exception that I don't feel like I have a super harsh inner critic. I'm a perfectionist through and through and usually do most things that I attempt well and I've always had high moral standards, but I don't beat myself up too much when I fail or make a mistake. Is it possible to be a type one with a healthy self-esteem or do you think I might have mistyped or should I just count myself lucky that I don't have a harsh inner critic? So actually the sexual or one-to-one subtype of type one is less likely to have a harsh inner critic and can often be more focused on perfecting those around them. They may spend their time refining in relationships and not be as focused on perfecting themselves. So there's that element. There's also two other subtypes of one that show up a bit differently and can give you some information in terms of the inner critic, but it's definitely possible to be a type one without a harsh inner critic. Um, there's really only one subtype of one that has a really intense inner critic. The other two have a different relationship to it. So if you're interested in hearing more about the subtypes of one, there's an entire episode dedicated to that on the podcast, and you may find that helpful. All right, our next question. Hi, Sarah Jane. My Enneagram question relates to actually typing myself. Years ago, I did a test and believe I was a type three. However, last year when I did the test, I was type nine. Is it possible for Enneagrams to change? If so, am I a type three who's living in a disintegrated life, which is why I appear as a nine? Or alternatively, alternatively, have I always been a type nine? And when I did the test a couple of years ago, I was in a growth phase of my life. How can I differentiate and figure this out? So this is a really good question, and it honestly sums up well the reason that I'm not a big advocate for taking tests to determine your type. There are so many factors that can make it hard to type correctly through a test. One of those being the lines on the Enneagram. If we take a test when we're stressed out, we may appear like our stress number and vice versa. So to differentiate, we have to go back to the core motivations, fears, and worldview. Do you fear a loss of connection, a loss of peace of mind, and have the worldview that I know I'll be okay as long as those around me are okay, like a nine? Or do you fear being worthless, fear you are only as worthy as your achievements, and have the worldview of I will be okay as long as I am constantly achieving new things, like a three? These are kind of counterproductive to one another, right? Like our three, the focus is constantly achieving new things, not stagnating. Nine is I wanna maintain my peace of mind those two are pretty conflicting. So which one do you think has like informed most of the decisions that you've made in your life? It's really about the lens through which we view the world, not just how we show up on a day-to-day -day basis. So what do you believe you have to be in life deep, deep down in order to be okay?
Is that successful or at peace or easy to get along with is the other way I like to phrase type nine. I hope that was helpful. Now we're going to take a quick break from today's questions to hear from today's sponsor, which couldn't be a better fit for the podcast, honestly. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. And let me tell you, friends, learning about the Enneagram is all well and good, but it's honestly just the information we need to do the work. In order to do the work, we need support. And every single panel this week for the summit, when I've asked people how they grew through something really difficult or changed a behavior pattern that wasn't serving them, the number one answer was therapy. It always comes back to therapy. It's for everyone. It's not just for those of us who are going through a hard time. We all need therapy. And it can look like anything you need it to. I think sometimes we think that it has to be just talking for an hour, but it doesn't always have to look like that. And BetterHelp has made this easier than ever. Pairing you with a therapist in less than 48 hours and making it free and easy to change therapists so that you can make sure you find the right fit for you. I've personally found it helpful to not only be able to do it from home, but also when I'm traveling. And beyond that, there's also a sense of anonymity to it for me, not feeling like someone in my hometown who knows who I am is putting together the puzzle pieces of my life and making opinions about it. Instead, it's a little bit more removed and therefore for me has felt a lot safer, especially as someone with an online presence. I, I wanna know that my therapist is seeing me and not my brand. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Enneagram and Coffee listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash egram. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash egram. Our next question is, hey, I have a question about the father-daughter relationship between two Enneagram types. What should the relationship look like between an Enneagram 4 daughter and an Enneagram 8 father? So I don't really know what it should look like, but I do think there's room for me to share what it could look like if both of you are doing your work to expand beyond your type structure. So first, there are things you could appreciate about one another, like you both appreciate honesty, fours in terms of emotional authenticity, and eights in terms of being direct and upfront. Now, some challenges that could arise is that eights trust their own authority and have a sense of how things should be, which could invalidate the emotional experience of a four, which could create a sense of isolation. The four could demand more emotional vulnerability than the eight is ready to give and feel as though it's being withheld specifically from them when it's really about the eight's experience with themselves more than their experience with the four. So to bridge the gap, our type eight parent would need to learn to sit with the emotions of the four, validate their experience, and honestly allow them to be less action oriented than you are. In fact, I think it's really beneficial for our type eight parents to allow their children to teach you a bit about life through the lens of their type structure. So for the type four, through their lens of emotional connection. Now for our four, and honestly, I'm kind of of the opinion that it is the parent's job to maintain connection. However, 
in any relationship, if we're both participating, we're going to have a better time. So for the four, I think you could focus on taking, not taking things personally when the eight is direct, right? And focus instead on this being their work and that it has really nothing to do with you at the end of the day. Also, I really think self-validation may be an important thing for a type four child being parented by an eight, meaning that you're validating your own emotions consistently and also honoring your experience. So um, seeking it from them less and giving it to yourself more. All right, the next question I have is, first, I want to thank you for your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you. My question is what a type nine can do to come to terms with a relationship that's no longer working. Are breakups hardest on type nines in general? So nine's core fear is loss of connection. So in that way, there's definitely something to break to a breakup that would be uniquely challenging for nines. There are other types who are going to struggle with breakups for different reasons as well, but nines definitely find them challenging for sure. So this can be so much so that they may prolong them for years just to not have to go through that severing. Now, that being said, it's important to remember that you're healthiest when you are peacemaking, not peacekeeping, meaning you aren't just maintaining the status quo of your life, but instead you're taking the necessary action to create true peace for yourself and others in the long run, aka like rip the bandaid off and you will have more peace long term than taking the path of least resistance for a bit too long. You will get through this, you will have support, and you will ultimately be doing that person a favor because just like the relationship isn't working for you, they deserve to be with someone who will love them fully and completely for who they are. And the longer you wait, the longer you are keeping them and yourself from being loved the way that you deserve. Now, our final question for today I am a five married to a nine discovering the Enneagram type of both myself and my husband has been so helpful and really given me valuable tools to navigate marriage, both in articulating my viewpoint and in being more accepting of my husband's. Currently we are facing a tough roadblock to navigate the long-term care of my father-in-law. He has been slowly worsening in health over the years, but insists on continuing to live in his house without help from a nurse. As a five, I want to be proactive and have a short and long-term plan set up. However, as a nine, my husband wants to continue to keep things as is and refuses to have tough conversations with his father, who also happens to be a nine. So we were left in a constant reactive state, which has included hospital and rehab stays, many falls and deteriorating hygiene. My question is, how do I help my husband face the tough choices and actions that need to be made? Or do I just continue to watch them in a re reactive state and support the best I can as time unfolds? So it sounds a bit like you have some boundaries to communicate and a little bit of releasing control. And this is hard because it's coming from a place of love, right? Like you're wanting to make sure everyone is okay and that things don't get worse and that we're not just reacting when things are bad. But at the same time, we kind of have to let this be the type nine's job. And we see this a lot in step families, and I promise this is going to come back to you in your question. Just kind of follow with me here for a moment. A lot of times step parents with a nine spouse will find themselves taking a more proactive role in the relationship to the bio parent, like the other co-parent, because their spouse is taking the path of least resistance. So they start accumulating tasks and stress and responsibilities that were never theirs to begin with. Now, in order to relieve this, we learn and teach folks to disengage, meaning we participate in the parts that belong to us, 
but release control and consequence to the person responsible. In this scenario, you may need to establish what consequences of procrastinating on this you will assume for your partner in which you will not. For example, if this gets put off and we are hit with a giant medical bill, I don't want that to be out, come out of our retirement savings. It's your job to prevent that from happening. Now on your own, you can think through the potential outcomes that you are attempting to prevent and determine your limits and boundaries around those. Communicate them up front and say, I will support you in preventing these with you. I'm here for you. Um, you don't have to do this alone, but at the end of the day, you are ultimately responsible for how this goes. You aren't alone again, but I am not going to take the hit if this goes awry. And then you have to follow through with the boundaries and that's the hard part, but it's also appropriate. Allowing your type nine to um, experience consequences for prolonged behavior will allow them to step up and take the needed action versus kind of coming in and making and being the one to save the situation. The main thing too is to say, this, this is what is mine, this is what is yours, I'm here to support you, but ultimately this is yours to drive the ship on. And this is also important for you and your peace of mind, allowing you to take a step back and say, I'm concerned about this, but I have to trust that this person has got it because this is his responsibility. And today's food for thought is actually something that someone in our Enneagram Summit Facebook group shared that I thought was really helpful and appropriate. It's from the book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover Tawab. It says, self-care is how you nurture and restore your mind, body, and spirit. The key word here is self. So making time to care for yourself is entirely up to you. Don't confuse self-care, however, with treating yourself to lavish gifts and pampering yourself. In some instances, you may choose for that to be a part of your regimen, but real acts of self-care have little to do with spending money. Instead, they're about showing up for yourself and setting boundaries. Boundaries to consider. I say no to things I don't like. I say no to things that don't contribute to my growth. I say no to things that rob me of valuable time. I spend time around healthy people. I reduce my interactions with people who drain my energy. I protect my energy against people who threaten my sanity. I practice positive self-talk. I allow myself to feel and not judge my feelings. I forgive myself when I make a mistake. I actively cultivate the best version of myself. I turn off my phone when appropriate. I sleep when I'm tired. I mind my business. I make tough decisions because they're healthy for me. I create space for activities that bring me joy. I say yes to activities that interest me despite my anxiety about trying them. I experience things alone instead of waiting for the right people to join me. Okay, friends, as always, I love creating this content for you. I will try and link that book for you below from today's Food for Thought so that you can grab it up if it's something that interests you. And as always, if you have questions you'd like answered on the podcast, you can call or text them in to 828-338-9127. I love hearing from you. And I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.